Good morning. Christ is risen. That's right. That's right. Oh, how good it is to be together on uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, if you weren't there this morning, what a wonderful time we had in the garden for uh, our sunrise service, singing some resurrection hymns together, a cappella style, and uh, it was just really beautiful out as well. Uh, we also had a great time yesterday morning. Big thank you to Julie Emmett for pulling that together and everyone here who helped uh, be a part of that uh, Rise, uh, Rise Up With Jesus event. That was really uh, wonderful. So thank you. And you know what? Kids heard the gospel. So praise God for that. That's what, we're, that's what we want. Uh, we just saw a video about Hope Explored. You'll see the card in your bulletin. Hopefully you got one of these in your bulletin. But uh, Hope Explored, three-week course starting next Sunday, 9.30 a.m., right before the, uh, the service. So come for that. Stay for the service. Uh, but a wonderful time to explore the hope that Jesus offers. And so if you're someone here who's looking for hope, uh, come explore with us uh, at Hope Explored. And you don't have to have any previous knowledge of the Bible or background in, in church. Uh, just come. No one's going to embarrass you or ask you to read anything out loud or pray in public. Just come and be a part of it and, uh, and ask any questions you may have as well. All right. Get to the word, shall we? I like how Paul put that, the main event. Let me ask you something. Has anyone ever said to you something like this? It's just one of those things. You had to be there. You ever have anyone say that to you? It's just one of those things where you just had to be there. It's hard to explain. Uh, You had to be there. And because you weren't there, you feel like you've missed out on something and there's really no way to go back. And to have that experience for yourself. As a football fan, I'm really thankful for instant replay. You know, you're watching the big game and you get up to refill your plate of nachos. And you're in the other room and there's this uproar of, you know, shouting. And you're like, what am I missing? You know, and you go go back and of course, thank you God for instant replay. Because you can figure out whatever you missed and, and join in that celebration, right? Well, as we look back on the Bible's historical record of that first Easter, there's an enormous sense in which we might think of Easter in this way. It was just one of those things. You had to, you had to be there to experience it. But actually, the whole point of the passage that we're going to look at in John 20 this morning is the exact opposite. You didn't have to be there to experience it. So for this morning, everyone here this morning, whether, whether you're here and you're a firm believer, or you're here and you're someone who struggles with doubts, or maybe you're here and you're someone who's just firmly closed off to the possibility of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're here, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that God has given us, in his word, the voice of an unbeliever. Someone who struggles to believe, to come to terms with what they're being told. This is Thomas in our passage today. Thomas wasn't there when everyone else first saw the first appearance of Jesus to his disciples. He stood apart from the others when he famously declared, 
Unless I see the, the marks of the nails and place my finger into the, the marks of those nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And that's the case for millions of people. The question is this Easter, what will it take for you to know and believe in the risen Lord Jesus to answer this question, we're going to go uh, back and we're going to look at Thomas's experience here, his journey of faith. We're going to track with him. So grab your Bibles now, take those out, turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 24 to 31. If you don't have a Bible, make use of that pew Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that home with you and read it. We're, we're happy that it's, it's being read throughout the week. So, uh, John is in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And once you're there, I invite you to stand with me out of reverence for God's word. And then follow along with me as I read. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not there with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the risen Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It is powerful and rich. It is sharper than any any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we're thankful for the gift of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, be our teacher now in this moment as we look at your word. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may hear and believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to use four points today to help us track with Thomas's journey of faith. Here they are. His refusal to believe, number one. Number two, his rejection of believers. Number three, his rationale for belief. 
And lastly, his repentance and belief. So his refusal to believe, John 20, 24, 25, says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not there with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I love Thomas's firm tone here. He is absolutely not open to persuasion. In fact, he has zero expectations of really ever being convinced otherwise. Thomas saw Jesus die. He saw him die. He saw the bones in Jesus' hands and feet split by the nails. He saw the horrific death on the cross, which involved part suffocation and part drowning as fluid built up around Jesus' heart and crushed the life out of him. He watched as one of the soldiers drove a spear into the side of Jesus, still pinned to the cross in public view, and he saw the fluid poured out. John was an eyewitness who recorded all of this in verse 19, or in chapter 19. He says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Thomas had no difficulty believing this part the death of Jesus. He knew that Jesus had been mangled. He knew that his life had expired. He saw that with his own eyes. And in the mind of Thomas, there was no way that Jesus, let alone anybody for that matter, could come back from what he saw. And this makes Thomas an ideal witness to the resurrection Because his mind was made up against the possibility of a resurrection in the first place. So what a great witness here that we have. He's having none of it from the others. And the degree of his certainty that Jesus is dead and buried is seen in his crude demand, really, to to probe the fatal wounds of Jesus' body. It's kind of gross, isn't it? To think about sticking your finger in someone's wound and putting your hand in their side. He's really using, uh, you know, exaggeration there to make a point. He's, He's not wanting to believe. Thomas absolutely refuses to believe. Nothing in him is open to persuasion. I don't know how he got the name Doubting Thomas. At this point, he's not struggling with doubt. He's he's resolute in denial. He's resolute in denial. And then notice this. This is our next point, his rejection of believers. I never really thought about it like this before, but these two things go hand in hand. They go together. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, I will never believe. 
Unless I see, I will never believe. Here we have an example of someone. Anyone ever tried to share Christ with someone and got rejected? You know, I'm not going to believe that, right? Um, well, here's an example of this right in the scriptures of someone who refused to believe. And the fact that he, he, he disagreed so sharply with the other disciples had to have put him at odds with them. It's their word that they won't accept. He outright rejects their testimony. The testimony of those who proclaim that Jesus is alive. And surely that would have been a problem. How could Thomas continue on with them? In, in fellowship with them? How could he do that? If, if he rejects the testimony of theirs that Jesus is alive, how could he continue with them? Why would he want to? if he rejected something so essential as this. And yet, it's amazing how many people today claim the label of Christian and they make the resurrection of Jesus a matter of personal preference. You can imagine Thomas telling the other disciples, hey, you do you. You, you believe that resurrection stuff if you want, but I'm going to do me. But let's still hang out together. Let's still have fellowship together, right? We'll, we'll, st- we'll still talk about the teachings of Jesus and remember all the good times we have with Jesus. But, you know, you, you kind of keep that resurrection stuff to yourself. I'll, I'll do me. You do you. Could you imagine that? Would the other disciples have seen his refusal to believe as a trivial disagreement? Of course they wouldn't. Because the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. This was not some insignificant thing that they could agree to disagree on. The Christian life and Christian fellowship are built on the facts of the gospel. Paul wrote later in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So this is fundamental to the, the, the confession of faith of this community of believers in the New Testament. To deny this would, would exclude you from that fellowship. So this is, this is a big thing. And here's another thing. If, as Thomas believed, Jesus was not bodily raised to life, then the Christian gospel is empty. It's powerless. It's ridiculous. Here's how Paul makes this point a few verses later. And if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
And those also who have, been, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. There you go. You have the permission of the Apostle Paul to wish me a happy Easter and tell me that I'm the most pitiable person on the planet if Jesus isn't alive from the dead. Because if this is the case, here's the problem. Our hope has an expiration date. Our hope is for this life only, and then we die. My question to you this morning is, where is your hope? Does your hope have an expiration date? What are you living for? Are you living for sports or entertainment, a career, even family? All these things can be taken from us, even things like Zumba, you know, things that we give ourselves, hobbies, things like that. If you're living for that, if that's your hope, it has an expiration date. Does your hope break through into eternity or is it for this life only? If not, I invite you to explore a greater hope. A hope that does break into eternity and is not only for this life but beyond this life and is a hope worth giving your life for. If as the Bible says and as Christians believe that Jesus died and rose again, then our hope extends beyond life, beyond our death. Do you have a hope like that? Not even death can take a hope like that from you. The whole concept of hope is worth thinking about. That's why we're hosting this three-week course starting next week, Mondays, or Sundays, sorry, Sunday mornings, 930 It's called Hope Explored, and it will be a safe place for anyone to come to explore this, explore this very thing. And we'd be thrilled if you'd join us. Even if you come once, come once, check it out. It's a great opportunity to question and to discuss and to explore a hope worth having. And here's how we're defining this hope worth having. It's a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past that changes everything about the present. Now you might be wondering just how true the events of that first Easter are. And how could we even know if they're true? Let's stick with Thomas a little bit longer. Here's our third point, his rationale for belief. Verse 25, But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He wouldn't take the word of anyone else. He needed to see and touch the risen body of the same Jesus that he saw crucified and buried. That's what he was asking for. And these are the same thoughts of millions of people down through the centuries. I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to stand where Thomas stood. If I could do that, I would believe. I want to see what he saw. 
I want to touch what he touched. If I could do that, then I would believe. Well, John tells us, verse 26 and 27, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, a lot depends on the rationale of Thomas's belief being satisfied. John tells us that Jesus offers a, a no-holds-barred investigation to Thomas in what amounted to an, an extreme invasion of Jesus' personal space. And as Thomas had this high bar for evidence satisfied, the risen Lord Jesus calls him from unbelief to belief. Well, that was fine for Thomas. But how does it help us? How does it help you? Our last point, his repentance and belief. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. This is fascinating. He didn't begrudgingly say, Okay, I'm sorry. You're alive after all. I guess I'll follow you. No. We see here, his response was a humble and happy submission. He wasn't reluctant to have had to bow down to Jesus. He wants his Lord and God to have conquered death. And Jesus calls him from disbelief to belief. And that, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You don't just believe in him. You're stunned by him. You're thrilled by him. And, you're, you, and you gladly put everything else aside to live for him as your Lord and your God because it just makes sense. If he is, in fact, risen from the dead, there's nothing else that makes more sense than to follow him with everything you've got. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So how does this help us today? What about those who still refuse to believe and reject the word of believers, their testimony? I said that Thomas's rationale for belief is the rationale of millions down throughout the centuries who want to stand where he stood, see what he saw, and touch what he touched. And if you're like that, what can Jesus offer you today? Well, Jesus has nothing to hide and nothing to fear from any critical examination, but he hasn't put his body on open display for the world so that people could prod him and become convinced that he is alive from the dead. He hasn't given us that. And if you think about it, that would have been useless anyway because no human being has lived long enough to confirm that the man that they're inspecting as they put their uh, fingers in his, in his nail holes and in his side, they would have no way of knowing whether or not that was the real Jesus of Nazareth or not because no one would have been around long enough to see him. Each generation would deny that it could be the same person 
How could they know? So beyond the lifetime of those first eyewitnesses, the opportunity to examine a man who claims to be back from the dead is never going to persuade anyone. So what will? What will? Well, amazingly, Jesus takes what millions would regard as the best reason for belief in him, the physical examination of the evidence of his body, and he downgrades it. He downgrades it. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Far from shaking Thomas's hand and congratulating him and celebrating a new convert, Jesus says that it was easy for Thomas to believe. Thomas, that was easy. Well, he looked instead to those who wouldn't get the same opportunity that Thomas had. He looked down the centuries to our day and beyond to those who would believe in him and bow to him as their Lord and their God without physically seeing or touching his body. How are we to believe? John tells us, verse 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One preacher put it this way, Thomas got the live experience, and we get the book. And amazingly, Jesus has absolute confidence that when the truth about him is read from his word, the Bible, millions of people will meet Jesus, convinced that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and will have hope beyond this life, eternal life in his name. The Bible is an absolutely incredible book, and there are Countless stubborn unbelievers with their heels dug in, just like Thomas in verse 25, who down through history moved from adamant refusal to being convinced by the evidence and then to repentance and belief. And the reason for this is that the Bible isn't just history, it's God's revelation of Himself. It's the living word of the living God, and it comes with a blessing. Verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So if you're an unbeliever, I'm thrilled that you made it here today. The Lord Jesus invites you. Put your finger here in his word. Put out your hand Pick up the book so that you may not disbelieve, but believe. It's what he's given us to examine. It's it's an eyewitness account. It's the the self-revelation of our God to see and touch and believe. I'd be so thrilled if you'd join us for Hope Explored. Because as John said, these are written so that you may believe and not disbelieve. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the invitation. Come and explore. What what have you got to lose? But three mornings of your life to explore the greatest claim in the history of mankind, to see for yourself whether it's true or not, what have you got to lose? You've got a lot to lose if it's, if it's true and you, and you fail to explore it. So come, explore it with us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the, the person of Thomas that, that you included in, in this uh, eyewitness account of John. Thank you that we have the example of someone who firmly doubted and resisted the news of the resurrection. And yet, you tell us that it's, it's, it's an easy thing for Thomas to see and touch and believe. But how much more blessed are we who believe without seeing? Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. These reliable eyewitness accounts that verify the historicity of that Easter event, of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you've given us this evidence. Thank you that we can explore it. Thank you that we have such uh, easy access to it. Help us to not neglect it. It's such a wonderful gift. And God, I pray that if there be anyone here this morning who has not believed, who has not put their trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, to forgive their sin and to make them right with you, to give them Jesus' righteousness by which they can stand before the throne of God and not be seen as a sinner but as, as righteous. What a gift. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you that our, our faith is not in vain. Our hope is not in vain because Jesus has been risen from the dead. and We have evidence to know that it's true. So thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.